Hello, welcome back to Out of Curiosity. This is our podcast where we're trying to find biblical clarity for modern questions. I'm Garland. And I'm Nick. And uh, on our episode today, we're going to be talking about uh, tithing, giving, Mm. a a nice, fun little topic, Uh, generosity. What does that look like? Before we dive in, uh, just just a a quick reminder as to kind of the purpose and and where Out of Curiosity has come from in the first place. Uh, This podcast has originated from Nick and I and just lots of conversations with lots and lots of people, both Christians and non-Christians, just asking real life questions and what do we make of this in light of the scripture and as we've as we've done many of these episodes now it's our hope that the the people listening would see this not just as a resource to maybe give them some some helpful clarity on some of these things, but also to be able to use to, to share with people that are in your life that maybe bring this question to you to begin that conversation. And so if you find one helpful, please share that. Uh, you can go rate it and review stuff on uh, wherever you're getting this podcast. That helps kind of get the word out. But if you would, if you, if you got somebody asking some of these questions, it could be a really helpful thing to start that conversation by going, hey, let me share this with you. Listen to both or listen to this and let's come together and we'll talk about it. And especially as we're engaging uh, as followers of Jesus with those that find themselves outside of the the Christian faith and having some of these big questions, this could be a really helpful starting point uh, that you can just use. And so uh, that's just where this came from. And that's our hope is that this furthers lots of conversations and helps us uh, to be more uh, more clear and more uh, more shrewd in our evangelism, but also to just be better students of the Bible. And so uh, with that in mind, uh, when we talk about generosity. Uh, here's how the question usually comes up. Uh, why is the church trying to take my money? Uh, they shouldn't. And, uh, I don't want to do that. Or it comes up something like this. We're supposed to give 10%. We give 10%. We start with 10% and that's the number. And I think there's a lot of confusion as to how we even got there. Like why 10%? Where do we get that number? Is that right? Uh, cause this, we're talking about our cash here. Yeah, money. When you start talking about your wallet, uh, people can get a little defensive. So let's figure out where this actually began. Help us out. Cool. Okay, so yeah, let's get a little context on where the concept of the tenth or the tithe comes from. Uh, You know, it's it's part of Israel's law that they are to give 10% of of what they have to the Lord. Now, often you'll hear it said, oh, that's only part of the law. But actually, interestingly, the the tithe, the 10% comes from before the law is given. Okay, so the first example that we have of it is Genesis chapter fourteen, verses eighteen to twenty. Uh, Garland, you want to read Genesis fourteen eighteen to twenty for us? Sure. This is NIV. Genesis fourteen eighteen to twenty is. It says, "Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, as I'm guessing is Abraham, saying, "Blessed be Abram by God Most High, Creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand." Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. There you go. A tenth. A tenth. So what happens in this story is Abram's just had a a battle that he was successful. The Lord gave him victory. And this really mysterious figure named the named Melchizedek, which we don't have time to go into who Melchizedek is. It's a great name. Somebody should name their son Melchizedek. On it. So um but in, in response, Melchizedek acknowledges the Lord gave you this reward these material possessions that Abraham's just gotten. And Abram's response is to give a tenth of it to this priest. 
And he understands that by giving the tenth to the priest, it's it's honoring what the Lord has given him and giving it back to the Lord. Okay. So the, the reason I, I draw attention to that is that we get this standard of a tenth before the law ever shows up. Apparently, voluntarily, I don't know what motivated Abram to think in terms of a tenth, but voluntarily, that is what Abram thinks is an appropriate response to God's blessing. Now, the second one happens in Genesis 28, 12 to 22. Okay, so this is all before the, what, we, what you called the law, which all, is, we're, t- we're talking like Mount Sinai, Exodus 20. Exactly, okay, okay. exactly. So, um, in Exodus 28, 12 to 22, uh, Jacob has a Gen- Genesis. I'm sorry, Gen- yeah, Gen- okay. yeah, Genesis 28, 12 to 22. Uh, you want to read Genesis 28, 12 to 22 for us? Oh, wow, it's a long section. Yes, I can. Genesis 28, 12 to 22. Yep. This is Jacob. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you. And I will watch over you wherever you go. Now bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I will and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? There this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel though the city used to, call, used to be called Lutz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking, it will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that, I, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. There, there it is go. again. So there's that tenth. Now, notice a couple of things that are important to recognize underlying this concept of giving in both of these passages is the assumption that everything Abram and Jacob have has comes from the Lord. Right. It it was all his to begin with. So that is a foundational assumption before this idea of giving a tenth ever starts is we're not talking about giving our stuff. The idea here is that before we talk about giving, you have to have the assumption that it wasn't yours to begin with. That seems important. It's it's crucial to understand that everything that Abraham and Jacob have comes from the Lord. And that's counterintuitive to all modern Western culture where everything is something either I earned or that society gave me. Uh, based on some status that I have or that I inherited, uh, I worked for it, and that's not what this is saying. Absolutely. So uh, the first thing that, that that should help us realize is God doesn't need our stuff. Uh, sometimes we can picture God as a as someone who, man, he has a lot of things he wants to do in the world. If only he had enough money to accomplish it. Right. Um, and, and he's actually the generous giver to us at the start. Yeah, that, that, that is a very needed flip, it seems like, especially maybe in America, which has, has traditionally, large parts of America had maybe more wealth than most of the rest of the world in human history combined. So anyway. 
So when you start with this foundation, here's the pattern that emerges. God owns everything. Mm -hmm. It all belongs to him. And he chooses to generously entrust stuff to people. Mm -hmm. And the appropriate response of God entrusting something to his people is that they will be generous with what he's entrusted to them. Okay. A pattern emerged from the lives of Abraham and Jacob of a tenth. So then when God gives the law through Moses, they take that standard of the tenth and they apply that to Israel and say, give a tenth of all that you have to the work of the Lord. And um, the primary purpose of that tithe was twofold. One, it would be used um, to uh, supply for the worship practices that were happening at the tabernacle later, the temple. So it would supply for the priests, but it also be used to supply for the needs of the poor. Mm-hmm. Now, that tithe is what is what supplies the functioning of the religious life of Israel financially. But there's another side, and this is something that's often ignored. We, we often assume that that tenth part is all the giving that was happening in the law. But actually what happens is, is then it goes on to describe something called offerings, that is beyond the tithe, that is a way when somebody wanted to celebrate God's generosity in their life, they could come give more. And so there was actually a generous giving beyond the 10%. Uh, and so if anybody thought of it as, hey, 10% is what you owe God, and 90% is yours, 10% is God's, uh, that's not actually how the generous life of Israel is framed. Okay, so let Testament. me get this. So there's 10% goes to the, the Levites, the temple mm-hmm. leaders, and that's just that's just happening. It's coming out of your paycheck yes. every single time. This is not. This is a theocracy. This is a kingdom with God ruling in His temple at the yep. center. So ten percent's coming out of everybody's paycheck. Yep. Then there's a whole bunch of stuff that's talking about making offerings of praise and mm-hmm. offerings like burnt offerings, making offerings for sin, and that's going to be all in addition to that ten percent. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So um, and so that becomes the pattern in the Old Testament. Now. What's tricky as we start thinking about being a New Testament church um, is what do we do with Old Testament laws? Right. Okay. So you'll have Jesus say things like, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Matthew 5. And so Jesus is, um, he understands that he is not contradicting or destroying what was laid down, but somehow he's what it was all pointing to. And so frequently the New Testament authors are going to cite Old Testament laws as their reason for certain ethical behaviors. Mm -hmm. So it's clear that the Old Testament is still um, important for us for understanding right behavior with God. Okay. And yet Paul is also going to say we're not under the law, meaning the law is not our um, legal obligation uh, for living life. Okay. We now are in Christ, and there's a kind of freedom to keep in step with the Spirit. Okay. So we end up with this kind of odd place of the Old Testament is a guide for the values of God that still matters for shaping our lives of obedience before God, mm-hmm. and yet it is not a one-to-one legal requirement for Christians. Okay. So what do we do with the tithes and offerings of the Old Testament? Uh, I would argue that they still um, give us a good guide for how one might think about finances. And it also is not a strict legal rule that 10% uh, 
uh, is, is exactly what all giving should be. I've heard some people say, yeah, there's no reason you should stop your giving at 10%. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we look at what the scripture, the New Testament has to say about money and giving, we read in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, um, Paul's describing an offering that is going to be given to help the poor in Jerusalem. He's collecting this offering from around uh, the, the New Testament churches. So you want to read 1 Corinthians 16, 2? I will. On the first day of every week, Paul says, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Okay, so what are some principles? We, what do we see Paul talking about? I think two significant things come out of 1 Corinthians 16 when we're thinking about giving. One of them is that it's right to plan for it. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I think, especially kind of in our younger generation, we think anything s- sincere should also be spontaneous. Right, and so, man, if if it's if it's of the Lord, then it should just happen in the spur of the moment that I move to give. Mm-hmm. Um, but Paul actually says, no, good generosity is something you plan for. Right, um, and so it's very appropriate to budget generosity, to plan to make room for generosity and for the Spirit to move. It's also worth noting in my own personal life when I don't budget for generosity, I am not generous because I spent it. All for me. Exactly, yes. And so one of of Cassie's favorite things to do is we have a line item in our budget where we budget for spontaneity, where we set aside money each month to be able, when we have a spontaneous, like, man, we want to give to this right now, Mm -hmm. we've set that aside so it's there. That's cool. And so we plan for spontaneity, and Cassie, she really does a great job with that, of watching where needs are and being able to help. The other thing to take note of is that the sum of money is keeping with your income. And so the idea that Paul seems to be laying down here is that there is a sense of proportionality. And so we don't measure generosity based on the amount given. We measure it based on how it relates to what you have. And and Paul says his desire is not for people to starve. Uh, God gave us what we have to provide for our needs. Um, and yet there is a sense in which our giving should match how God's blessed us. That comes all the way back from the Old Testament. It is in proportion to the blessing God's given us. Another great passage for this is Ephesians 4.28. Um, would you be willing to hop over and read Ephesians 4.28 for us? Yes, I would. It's, it uh, reads like this. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Now, what I think is really fascinating about this is when we think about work, when I think about my paycheck, my default assumption is that I work and get paid to take care of my needs. Right. Paul's reframing work right here. He says, do something useful with your hands so you can help other people's needs. He is completely reorienting work around generosity. Which sounds so like Paul reflecting on Jesus. I mean, it sounds like Philippians 2, do nothing from selfish ambition, with humility of mind, regard others' needs as more important than your... I mean, just that in Paul's reflection on Jesus, he says stuff like this all over the place, and it's it's almost like this all-encompassing worldview for Paul because of Jesus. He's reflected on Jesus so much that he just lives this way. Absolutely, and it's consistent. 2 Corinthians. Let's go to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 10 to 11. He says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. 
you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now, this is so interesting. God is being generous to us. He's providing for everything we need. For what purpose? So that we can be generous. That is the end goal of God's generosity to us. And if you think about throughout the whole the whole story of the Bible, that's God's pattern. All the way back to the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 12, God blessed Abraham so that he could be a blessing. He could be a blessing to others. And so the direction of everything God gives us, all the way back to the creation of mankind, when God made mankind in his image, it was so that mankind could extend God's rule on earth and be a blessing to the earth. And so that's that's the pattern throughout the all, all of Scripture is everything belongs to God. He, in his grace and generosity, entrusts things to us. So the purpose that we can look like him. And if you look at who God is, even our, our landmark verse of John 3, 16, who is God? He is a God who so loves that he gives. Mm-hmm. And so that is to be the mark of his children. If we're going to be like God, we will be people who so love that we give. And we, we live generous lives. And so... I think one way to frame and think about our generosity is do do we manage what God has entrusted to us the same way God manages what he has? Right. Does our managing of our resources reflect God's character? And so when we think about giving, um, the Bible gives a few priorities, and one of them is supporting the local church. Okay. Uh, Paul clearly says that the work of those doing the gospel will be supported by the local church and provide for. So we support the local church. There is also a strong sense of giving to support global mission effort. And then we also see generosity to help the poor, to help those who are in difficult times of need. And so if if I were giving people a way to think, um, I would say the tithe, the tenth part, is still a really great mark. It's Mm -hmm. still a really great place, but we also have a sense of going beyond that in our generosity. And so every person, we have the freedom of the Spirit to be as generous as we want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what Paul does say is he doesn't, he doesn't set us up so that we'll starve. Um, God wants to provide for our needs and to be able to be generous and supply for the needs of others. So thinking through those, how am I supporting my local church? How am I supporting the mission of God to reach the unreached beyond my local church? And then how is generosity meeting the needs of those who are struggling in my community and beyond? One even just kind of putting a bow on, on that, the very early snapshot, I always call it a snapshot of a healthy church, mm-hmm. this picture in Acts chapter 2. It's not a command for, for what churches are supposed to do. It's just a depiction of what the yep. early church did. And what we see them doing is they seem to have this mindset. They seem to have this attitude that we've been blessed by God, so we want to be generous with everything that we have to the point where there's no need in our community. There's, there's no financial need. There's no hunger need because we're, to, we're so looking to the needs of other people that, and, and we're generous with that, that now there's, there's literally no need in this gathering of people. And in the first century where there wasn't, a social, there wasn't social structures in place to, to help the vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, the slave, uh, here comes the church. And in the first century, that was a very compelling picture to the outside world watching. And a lot of it had to do with their generosity. They, they were that, they had a different worldview. They looked at money and power in a completely different way, and they were completely generous with it. So uh, that's, a, that's just a really compelling picture that I hope we can capture, recapture, and, uh, and show to the world today. 
It's beautiful. And uh, if I can give one more challenge, it's something that a, a friend of mine challenged me in that was really helpful. He said, when we think about our finances, we often think about growing in financial health. So we might think about making progress on our mortgage. We might think about making progress in eliminating debt. We might make progress in our savings, make progress in our retirement. And he said, what if we thought in terms of progress in our generosity? Mm. What if what if our goal was each year, how can I push myself to be more generous? Rather than seeing generosity as something static that we just set and we leave it, what if we were constantly looking, how can we grow more generous with everything God gives us? And I think that's a, a beautiful picture. Um, uh, Don Reed, one of our leaders around fellowship, he has, he has a phrase that I think uh, that I love that he says. He says, finances and generosity is not a fundraising issue. It's a discipleship issue. It reflects how much we look like the God we worship. Yeah, and C.S. Lewis has a fantastic just quote on, on this. He says, the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. Our charities should pinch and hamper us. If we live at the same level of affluence as other people who have our level of income, we are probably giving away too little. Hmm. It's always been a challenge to me. I've just always reflected on that. So I hope it is uh, for our people as well. And uh, we hope this has been helpful just to kind of navigate this topic. Thanks for listening to Out of Curiosity. Thank you for listening to Out of Curiosity as we discussed whether tithing is biblical. For further study, we recommend looking in Scripture at 1 Corinthians 16.2, 2 Corinthians 9.6-11, and Ephesians 4.28. And we also recommend the book Plastic Donuts by Jeff Anderson and the class Align Your Finances with the Heart of God from the Training Center at Fellowship. If you want to send in a question or contact us, go to oocuriosity.com and follow us on Instagram at oocuriosity. Be sure to subscribe to keep up with future episodes.